0: Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, college football writer with the Associated Press. This should be the first show of the offseason. You, you kind of think of it as the first show of the offseason, right? We're a week, more than a week removed from the national championship game. The offseason should be here. But there really is no off season anymore. The coaching carousel has been spinning pretty hard since Nick Saban announced he was retiring last week. So we bring on the great Bruce Feldman from Fox Sports and The Athletic to talk about all the moves from Kalen DeBoer to Alabama, Jed Fish to Washington, and what's going on with Jim Harbaugh. Though that might very well be resolved by the time you even listen to this show. That's why Bruce and I aren't going to dive into the particulars of each move and talk more about what's driving some of these decisions. Imagine if I told you three years ago, that the then Fresno State coach would replace Nick Saban. Things happen very fast in college football. That's all I can say. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please, please, please give us a good rating and review. It helps college football fans find us. It helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week, the great Bruce Feldman from The Athletic and Fox Sports. My friend, uh, Bruce, uh, I know you're a little under the weather. Thanks for doing this. Um, But it was only, Bruce, can you imagine this? It was only a week and a day ago that we crowned a national champion in college football. It feels like three months. It feels like three years that, that that Michigan won a national championship with all that's gone on.
1: It really does. I mean, but as much as you could say you knew the inevitable was going to happen and that Nick Saban, the greatest coach of all time in college football, was going to retire. I just think that like it's such a momentous thing that it forces you to reevaluate like and, and you don't have to make this choice, but like, you know, this past season was really the last of, a, of an era you know, when we think of it in terms of like the, the Pac-12 is going away for good and we're going to a 12-team playoff and those are big things. And Arizona and Arizona State are moving to the Big 12 and the four Pac-12 schools are going to the, you know, and there's this yeah. crazy stuff what's yeah. going on with the ACC. And yet they're, now the Saban thing to me is different because like the whole SEC feels different. It's like, okay, it's like the ogre is gone. We have a chance now kind of thing, you know, or whatever it is around the SEC. And I'm not saying they all think of them that way, but just like, oh, wait, the playing field is leveled a little bit. Yeah, Kirby's still there, but now, th- uh,
0: this could reset the power structure, especially at a time when Texas and Oklahoma are entering and that was going to in some ways reset the power structure maybe not to the point where it was that was directly going to knock alabama off the perch but if you combine those if you combine those two things no nick saban texas and oklahoma texas rolling in under a guy who um, alabama probably wouldn't have mind hiring yeah i mean this is this monumental stuff I know.
1: And it's still like, I still think we're all kind of wrapping our brains around these parts of it, you know? And I mean, it's, it's just an interesting time in, in college football to begin with. But now that is like, I just feel like that's one that doesn't sink in right away.
0: So just to get everybody up to speed, uh, by the time you're listening, this like the Brent Brennan to Arizona. So this, these are the dominoes that have fallen very quickly. So, um, Nick Saban retires. Two days later, Kalen DeBoer is hired away from Washington by Alabama to replace Nick Saban. Two days after that, Washington hires Jed Fish away from Arizona to replace Kalen DeBoer. Two days after that, Arizona hires Brent Brennan away from San Jose State to replace Jed Fish. Uh, Another thing sprinkled in there, South Alabama is looking for a new head coach because, uh, Kane Wom- uh, Womack decided to take the DC job. He has worked with Kalen DeBoer before; they have worked together in Indiana. So now that's an opening. South Alabama, San Jose State's open, and we're still waiting to hear what happens next with Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Again, by the time you hear this, that could be resolved, or maybe it won't be resolved. Um, but as of right now, all we can all we know for sure is he interviewed with the San Diego Chargers. And Michigan has a massive contract offer in place for Harbaugh. Let me just, let's just touch on that one for a second. And again, I don't want to get too deep into it because by the time people hear this, the next step may have concluded. But it does sound right, like, like right now, what we're seeing is sort of a, everybody covering their ass. Like Michigan wanting to make sure it signals to its fans, Hey, we're doing everything we can to keep Jim and Jim sort of looking, making sure Michigan is ready to really embrace him if the Chargers thing doesn't ha- doesn't pan out.
1: Right. And there's also other, you know, other jobs. I mean, I know we're not talking pure NFL here, but at some point I saw, you know, on my timeline, lots of, you know, the Atlanta Falcons mentioned they just conducted an interview with bill belichick which is know? just
0: <laughs> the weirdest one right like just, first of all the nfl doing that announcing who they do their interviews with is weird especially for those who cover college sports but seeing like a tweet popped up like we interviewed bill like you'd have to interview bill belichick how do you interview bill belichick
1: <laughs> i know it's like can you give us references can you, <laughs> right. you know, it's like I, I think there's just a great skit that is waiting to be had there, you know, for all these. Because in college football now, and I can't speak on how the NFL is, it's clearly way different with this. But like from the pandemic, Zooms, and we're ta- we're doing this on essentially a Zoom, mm-hmm. um, is created so many more guys get interviews now because it doesn't you don't have to fly anybody or go somewhere to meet them you just create a zoom room and you can do, you know, you could interview 18 guys for a job. You know, they may not be, they may not be they're They may not be truly like, all right, we're going to hire somebody off the zoom interview they did. But I think that that creates more of a candidate pool. Like I know a bunch of guys who've gotten in interviews that I don't, head coaching job. I'm not sure they would have back in the day.
0: You know, that, that, well, that brings up process and how all this stuff is happening so quickly and and with college uh, football. There's a couple of different ways I want to go with this, and not necessarily the, will Kalen do well and will this person do well? It's more of like this is not a knock at Kalen DeBoer, but if Nick Saban had even retired a year ago, Kalen DeBoer coming off of his first season at Washington, a very good season, 11-2, and two, I don't think there's any way in hell Kalen DeBoer is the next Alabama coach. But one year later, another great year. And this is not a deserving. It's not me saying he deserves it. I'm just it's to frame this idea that. Imagine where we have gone in just two years, where Kalen DeBoer became the guy Alabama had to hire. And Jed Fish, who a lot of people were skeptical when even Arizona hired him, and now three years later... He is the must-hire for Washington. That was the hire that got the Washington fans excited. I think if Washington would have had to, quote-unquote, settle for Chris Kleiman, its fans would have been almost disappointed. The speed with which these coaches rise and fall and their stock rises and falls is stunning to me, Bruce
1: it is. I mean, I think some of what that has to do with just is the hires have to be made faster. Um, and I think it's everything is off of like, what have you done for me lately? You know, I think, you know, you and I have had this conversation my colleague on the Audible. Stu Mandel and I have had this. You know, I broached this with him a bunch of times. Like, Who do you think is a good defensive coordinator? Because really, it's like it's you're one year away from you, you go from hot to trash like very fast in this day and age, and I think what speeds it up, honestly, is the portal because you can get good or or fall off really fast depending on who leaves. You know, I mean, look, you know, go back a couple of years. Ed Ogeron went from winning the the national title at the at the school he grew up rooting for in the state he's from to getting rough fired in less than two years and one of those was a pandemic year mm-hmm. um it's just it's just crazy how much stuff changes you know in this in this day and age and your point is true I think neither the only the only hire that has been made in the last 72 hours that is in line with our expectations is Brent Brennan finally <laughs> got the Arizona job
0: right because he would because he was
1: a Arizona candidate Carolina. last time when they hired yeah. fish. Yeah. Yeah, including the local media, they all wanted Brent Brennan. Well, he finally got the job. The other ones like nobody wanted Jed Fish to get the job or thought he should get the job at Arizona. And then he kills it as Arizona, and now they hate him for leaving. And Washington's thrilled he's there, and they're looking already at wow, the buyout isn't even that big. Jed Fish hasn't even like had three meals in Seattle yet. And people are already going, well, you know, he went to Florida and the buyout is only going to be like 12 or $10 million. And Billy Napier is already on the hot seat. Jedfish is going to go there. Or, man, look how bad the Eagles just looked. And by the way, do you know who his roommate was 30 years ago when he was <laughs> at Florida? It's the- Howie Roseman, the GM of the Eagles. You know, it's like. That's where we are right now.
0: So I think, and that's a. I'm glad you opened up that that door because I did want to address that, and because I think people will look at Kalen going to Alabama, Jed going to um, Washington, and almost and sometimes think like, wow. That might not be the best fit for that person. And boy, that the person's doing so well. Like maybe they listen, I can understand with Kalen, we can talk about whether he's going to fit at Alabama, whether his recruiting profile works. And I, I will use the caveat I use for every coaching move. You don't know how they're going to do in the job until they have the job. Like, we just don't know for sure until they have the job. There have been plenty of guys that we thought that would work, and it didn't. And there have been plenty of guys we thought that won't work, and it did. You know, point to Jed Fish. The Fish thing especially, because he had a really good team coming back, and you figure, you know, even if he's not thrilled with the way Arizona handled his contract extension. You come back, you kill it next year with a good team in the Big 12. And then you maybe have the Florida job open and some other things, UCLA, which are maybe places that you and your family know a little better and maybe want to go to. But that also speaks to this. If you if you say if you're Jed Fish, well, I'll wait a year. I'll wait a year. I I got a good thing here. I'll wait a year. And then Noah Fafita gets hurt and you lose a couple of close games and you're seven and five next year. All those options are off the table. All those options are off the table. So, that, again, it, it sort of speaks to this idea and it goes back to DeBoer. Like, if you're Kalen DeBoer, you are coaching at East, like forget the NAIA stuff. You were at Eastern Michigan less than ten years ago as the offensive coordinator. The idea that you might ever get the opportunity to be Alabama's head coach or a top three or five job again—if you go back to Washington next year and are six and six—like this might be your only window. These coach, I have a, a certain amount of sympathy for these coaches because, like, if you don't act on your window, it may never come back around again.
1: Yeah, I had a. It's funny this conversation because last night I am, I mean, this I don't even know. There's so much. It's funny as I'm thinking of this. Long, do I share this story? I'm like, well, it's a podcast. You're supposed to share these kind of stories on the podcast. <laughs> so, like I have reported on like Brent Brennan to San Jose State last night. I'm literally on the floor waiting for one of my nine year olds to go to sleep. It's like nine thirty at night, and I'm texting was somebody who is who is connected at Arizona, who is very frustrated about the Jed Fish thing. And, um, and at one point I said, you know, a wise man once said, and it's not about football coaches, but it, to me it's somewhat applicable. And he had said, a man is only as faithful as his options. Now, that's a Chris Rock line, and it has it has <laughs> nothing to do with coaching football. Games. No,
0: no, it doesn't, but but it's a good line. And but it's yeah, applicable. And it's applicable.
1: Yeah, it is applicable because for all these coaches who are like, this is my dream job. And Randy Etzel was not the first person to use dream job, but it was like, yeah, Maryland, it was his dream job. <laughs> so he went there, and we know that didn't, you know, whatever. That didn't go great. But um, for all these guys who've said this, there's – there is very few, and I'm not saying they're all used car salesmen, but, like, what you said is true. They will fire you in a, in an instant. Charlie Weiss, who I believe that was his dream job at Notre Dame, they didn't, like, he had graduated a lot of his students and did all these things that you're supposed to do there or whatever, but, like, they're firing, they're going to fire you if they don't feel like you can win enough football games, period. I don't care how academically oriented. The university is, or those people are, and it's a cutthroat business. I mean, all these things are cutthroat, especially like not making excuses for anybody. The portal has only made it much that much more so. And the examples you used are, you know, about what happens if you have an injury and this happens all of a sudden, then it goes in that direction. And I just think, I think it's, it's probably, I don't know if it's if I feel comfortable saying this. I think it's probably easier to be an, an NFL fan than a college fan because there's something when you're a college, they buy into a sense of loyalty mm-hmm. that is just different. Plus NFL has wacky rules. Like I know guys who like they can't get out of like like there's there's like lateral moves are different. Like well, if, if you're a coordinator here, you can't get out of
0: it. Let, let's you're, talk let's talk about that for a second then, Bruce, because I think you know, one of the things as college football and college sports is transformed, a lot of people are like, oh, it's becoming too professional. Well, I would also suggest there are ways to stop a lot of the things that you hate right now about college football. I'm going to say you and like sort of the generic you, right? The, the, the wide open player movement, even the coach movement, which again is a little crazy, the fact that like contracts don't matter in this sport like if you made it more professional if you got these if you if you took the next step and made and put some things in that made the made this look a little more professional or more like the pros you could possibly have schools and conferences get together and say you know what you can 't just take my coach if if with, when he has a contract if you want him, you have to give me some type of compensation, just like they do in the nfl right and and you can 't just like you could create that structure if you wanted, and it would be more in some ways fair and equitable. It would also just be less manic I, I, like i don 't I know people are cringing at the fact that the college football is becoming more professional. But if you embrace some of the professionalness of college, of pro football in college football, you could get players on contracts so they can't just up and leave anytime. And you could get contracts with coaches that actually mean something. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, we might be a couple of years away from that, but I think as we progress, That could be something that's in the future here. If we ever get, if we move to a more professional model, I could understand the school saying not just the player movement, but this coach movement. This this nonsense has to stop.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I, you know that expression, put the toothpaste back in the tube. I mean, it's all over the cap. It's all over the counter right now. So I don't. I just don't see you know what the compensation is if you're you know, one of these other places because there's no alignment around like the NFL, it operates under an umbrella, college football, right. Operate, operates under nothing. The conferences don't, you know, like poach from each other. So why would, Anything else like this happen?
0: No, and that's right. I mean, you'd have to have conferences get together and sort of create again, but it's, it's possible to do it. And I just want fans to understand that the things that are driving you crazy, it's not less professionalism that fixes it. It's actually more oh, professionalism see, yeah. that fixes yeah. it. Yes.
1: I would agree with that now that I now that you put it in that context, but I, I you know, I want to say to you, like, are you new here? You know, like right, right, <laughs> this right. is the most dysfunctional sport and it often succeeds because of its dysfunctionality. Um, and the money's gotten crazier and everything else. And, um, you know, I forgot what I was watching. Cause now it all kind of blurs together, but somebody was talking about their frustration with, how you coach? And I'm trying to remember who posted this clip. And it was of a coach kind of lamenting the way things are now with the portal. And uh, how am I going to coach for?
0: Oh, it was Gino Gino oriyama right? It was that clip. That's what it was. Yeah. that is exactly. Thank you. I never would have remembered who it was. Well, because it, it, I saw the same clip yesterday and it really stuck in my head. He said something like the the, the players feel you like you owe ev- you owe them everything and they owe you nothing something along those lines
1: yeah and i think what you know and again i'm not trying to be a gino orio apologist at all and i don't really have a have a big point on him particularly but i just think sometimes when people say what they say they could message it differently. So it probably doesn't hit the code words mm-hmm. that set certain people off. And when I see certain people, they're going to be able go always, we want open markets. We want this and this and this. And, and, you know, I think there's certain things within reason. Maybe that makes sense. Just like, I don't think the relationship of the coach to player, player to coach model probably works the same. If it's like, Hey, you know, if I, if i challenge you in some way to try to you know make you better or something that you're going to get the same out of it Mm -hmm. you know i have like a story that i just started working on that's kind of gets at this and um you know i think you know that expression like i've seen people say you know you can you, you know we need to do hard things and, and I think sometimes that gets blurred in all this. And this is like a whole different rabbit hole to go down. But I think it's tied to this in a lot of ways.
0: But it also but the, uh, the biggest problem, though, becomes it's no longer acceptable to hold the coaches to one standard and the players to a completely different standard. Agreed, right. Agreed, and that's yeah. the problem. There's so much money flowing in and the coaches are have access to all of it. The other thing, too, that's interesting, uh, Bruce, is, uh, you know, I'm interested in your reaction. Roll this one around your head. Everything That has happened over the last few years has actually created more leverage for the coaches because now, hey, man, if you don't pay me and I jump, you're also in danger of losing your roster, right? Or if you don't get this deal worked out with me soon. Boy, like we're going to lose guys like every all these things that are structured around the speed in which we have to act because of recruiting classes, commitments, portal, portal opens your own roster. You have to recruit your own roster. You have to recruit from other rosters like that gives coaches even more leverage. Now, I don't know if Jed Fish is going to bring Fafita and McMillan and a lot of these good players. I didn't say bring, but those guys are going to follow him. But if I'm Washington, one of the reasons why Jed Fish might be pretty appealing to me is the simple fact that he might while I'm going through a complete roster overhaul. So, again, it just seems like all the things that are happening with players that coaches – Bitch about in many ways give them even more leverage in these situations in these in these hiring and firing situations or extension situations. Yeah, it's a lot like
1: the the analogy of quicksand. The more you you struggle with it, the deeper you fall into it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the one the one thing I felt more confident about than anything when it came to reporting on who's going to replace Nick Saban was this one thing. That Jimmy Sexton, the guy who represents Nick Saban and represents almost every coach in the SEC, was going to get a lot of his clients paid in the process. Mm. And and the God's honest truth is like people are like, Yeah, like like Jimmy Sexton's leaking all this stuff to I was like, I don't think that's not you may think that's true. I mean, I'll here to tell you I have not had one conversation with Jimmy Sexton in a long, long time. Uh, Me neither. And yeah, and and most of the reporters I know, not all, but almost all of them, don't hear from him. Now, that doesn't mean that there's things that don't get spun out certain ways, but the point of it is, like, this power structure is so, like, intertwined that I think it causes all this stuff, right? And so... The ADs and everything, they don't have any leverage. They don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, because they know their fans are ticked off. You know, it's like if you're Troy Dannon, you're the AD at, he came from Tulane, you, you got there, you know, midseason or whatever it was at, at Washington. You weren't the one who hired Kalen DeBoer, Jen Cohen, who's now at USC, did. But like the idea that, you know, you put a contract together and you were hoping Kalen DeBoer was going to do it. And Kalen DeBoer went and hired Jimmy Sexton to be his agent, you know, and, and, and then once these things start to fall, like, I don't think you're sitting there going, oh man, you know, I think you're more worried about Jim Harbaugh leaving mm-hmm. and that impacting you than Nick Saban leaving mm-hmm. and, and Kalen DeBoer going there. But it's like, all right, you want your team to make a run in a national title, but if it didn't, like if Oregon beats them in the rematch, mm. in the, which most people, including Las Vegas, thought was going to happen, and Oregon wins the Pac twelve title and and Washington goes twelve and one and it's a great year, and maybe they win their bowl game, maybe they don't because if in their bowl game, maybe you know Michael Penix and a bunch of these you know players de- decide, you know what. Been a great year, but I'm going to opt out, and you know I'm not saying that wasn't the plan or whatever. But anyway, you go 12 and two instead of 14 and one and play in the national title game. You know this probably goes in a completely different direction. Um, Now it doesn't mean it is
0: that is crazy because they they thought they had a deal done with him leading into the Apple Cup, and you know again we can all go crazy about Jimmy Sexton has too much power, this that and the other thing. Fact of the matter is, he he does good work for his clients. His clients usually end up getting better contracts than uh, they would without him. And But you're right. If they win the Apple Cup, what happened was as they had the chance to continue advancing – they realized, Jimmy realized, and I think DeBoer understood that, like, oh, my, my salary is going to go up with every game I win at this point, at this point going forward, right? If we make the playoff, it goes up a little bit more. If we win a playoff game, it goes up a little bit more. If we win a national championship, it goes up a little bit more. They had the Michigan thing out there that was a sort of a possibility, and I think that was kind of used a little bit as like, hey, there's a carrot here. There's a possible opening. There's one more possible opening. I don't know if Jimmy knew that Nick was going to retire, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But there's again like we this is the way it worked out, but we are one result away from it maybe going completely different because again, if they even miss the kick in the or or blow that fourth down against Washington State in the Apple Cup and lose that game, maybe DeBoer just goes, "Yeah, let me just sign this thing. I'm done." That our season's pretty much quote-unquote over. Let me just sign this thing.
1: Yeah. And then, look, I mean, the craziest things are, you know, just how close things are to going in a different direction. I once had this conversation with a guy who's now on AD, you know, in college athletics, and he had made the case with, I don't even know if I need to give him anonymity because it's going to be obvious who it is for people who know. So anyway, it was somebody who used to work with Pete Carroll um, back at USC and obviously had worked with him at, had um, also had worked with him with the Patriots. And he said there was Adam Vinatieri, who's for most people is considered like one of the greatest clutch kickers in the history of football, but missed two field goals or missed two kicks by like a total of like 10 inches or, you know, like when they were with the Patriots. And, Carol, and if they make the if he makes those, Carol probably doesn't get fired from the Patriots. And <laughs> Bill Belichick doesn't get that job. And if Bill Belichick doesn't get the job at the Patriots, I'm not saying he never gets another coaching job. Coaching job well, he
0: was like, the damn Jets coach. <laughs> you remember? He actually was the Jets coach.
1: Yeah, Yeah. sorry. I forgot who I was talking to on this one. So, now no, it's really at the nerve. But, like, you know, then USC, I don't know who USC hires, hmm. right? And so many different things, like, don't happen then. And things now, like, a lot of coaching careers, never mind playing careers, were reshaped by going to work for Pete Carroll at USC, never mind the Patriots piece of this, you know? And it's just like, if, if again, it's not like this kicker was like a journeyman. This is like (laughs) one of the greatest kickers in the history of football. And one of those clutch kickers and misses, you know, like a couple of just by like inches, you know, and that's how crazy some of this stuff all can be.
0: Let me. Uh, let's wrap up uh, or head down the home stretch with this. And again, like I, I hesitate to get too deep into what Mich- like Michigan conversation because I really do wonder if if this could get resolved. Maybe I mean I, I've been hearing that there's a possibility the Chargers could make their choice by the end of today, and we're talking in you know middle of the afternoon Eastern time uh, or afternoon Eastern time on Tuesday. But even then, you know, there are more NFL jobs that are gonna open up and the NFL you know, the good thing about the NFL as we as we alluded to earlier is that like they're very transparent about these things, as we said with the interview stuff. And also you don't have that same series of like sequence of okay, the news starts breaking, the news starts leaking, and then it could be hours before a school confirms thing because a school needs to, like, they need to tell the team, they need to uh, get some approval from a board member or a president and things along those lines. With the NFL, it's like, hey, man, like, we want you to be a coach. Here's the deal. Like, are you going to take this job? Uh, so that thing gets wrapped up very fast. And I say all that because it just, I apologize in advance if you're listening to this and it's outdated. Um, do you, th- I think it's going to be Sharon Moore? I think that that's the move for Michigan. I I don't I also think Michigan has to send signals that no no no, we're going to look around and because I think mm-hmm. that you have to do your due diligence uh, you know uh, it's a super appealing job so maybe I'm thinking maybe there's somebody in the NFL right now that you know that that would be really interested in it but like I don't know. I'm babbling around here. Do you think it's going to be Sharon? And if not, who else? I, I don't know. I'm not really buying into these like, other college candidates.
1: I think Sharon is the obvious candidate. I mean, not only because he got to coach the team, right? And not only did he get to coach the team. I mean, what better uh, for four yeah, what, games? But what like, better interview
0: do you want, right?
1: Right. Well, he beat Penn State at Penn State. He beat your arch rival, Ohio State. I mean, the fact that he had to coach those games, had a trap game in there with Maryland that they won, right? So he had all those things. And then on top of it, you know, you have this guy who is really, really well thought of by um, the people inside the program, not just the coaches. But so, you know, I use this. I did a story that went up yesterday on The Athletic about, this very thing if jim harbaugh leaves what do they do and the obvious path is sharon moore well, about an hour after the national title game, i'm in the michigan locker room trying to gather some stuff and i talked to trevor keegan who's one of the team captains in and, the and, a, and a great quote by the way and a great oh
0: just a, a just a masterful quote <laughs> yeah and, and and
1: trevor keegan and i are talking about kind of the brotherhood of the guys in his class and you know, that came in and what they dealt with and it's that I haven't mentioned Sharon Moore at all. And this is what he says. I was pretty close to leaving. The recruiting process is a dangerous thing. Everybody tells you how good you are, that you'll start as a freshman. As an 18 year old kid, I wasn't the most mature guy. I wasn't playing. I kind of stopped loving football. Coming into Schenckler Hall was a kind of a drag for me. Coach Moore came in and changed my whole outlook on life and football. He would made me fall in love with football again. I can't thank him. I can't thank him enough. He's just a guy who puts his head down and works. He started out here as a tight ends coach and now he's an OC getting head coaching offers. I never asked him about Sharon, Sharon Moore. Yeah, we weren't even really talking about Sharon Moore. He, I never asked him about. Hey, if Jim Harbaugh leaves. He just talked about, you know, a stream of consciousness and it went there. And I am, you know, I am not sure that you could get somebody to make a better case who matters more than a team captain talking about what Sharon Moore did for him unprompted. And again, now look, the other parts of this, which we don't know and could, you know, the only snags in this. And again, it's, I think it just needed to be brought up is if Sharon Moore doesn't get the job or if something, and it's not to say that this is the only reason it would be, but like there are two NCA investigations going on there. One in, involved the signal stealing. Does Michigan, do they have any due diligence here that tells them, okay, this might be messy for us if we promote from within. Mm,
0: mm -hmm.
1: And that's a big if. We don't know that. There's no Honestly, there's no reason to think that, Mm -hmm. that it will prevent it. But based on what we know, Sharon Moore is the obvious choice. If not him, to me, there's really one option for them if they said, hey, we want a guy who's been a head coach for a while, and that guy is Lance Leipold. Yeah. Uh,
0: I could see, I could job. see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can't see, you know, somebody had mentioned to me, well, Brian Kelly would probably, would mm. probably jump at that job. Cause it's a better fit for him than, than LSU is. And being in the sec. I
0: don't think Michigan's I, jumping at Brian Kelly though.
1: I don't think so either. Not this like Brian Kelly, I think after his exit to LSU, and I'm not saying he's bombed there, but I just think people look at him and go, okay, you know, and Jim Harbaugh like him or not, people know he's authentic and that's really him. I think you would. And I, Wrote it like this. I just don't think people anybody sees Brian Kelly as that guy, you Mm. know. And so, question is, you know, if if it does come open, I think again most of the Michigan guys who are you know starters, if they could have left, it's because they're going on to the NFL. I don't think they're going to be going in the portal. Um,
0: Yeah, they still have they have a little more coming back as you see the 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 NFL choices and some of the young and you start going through the roster of some of the younger it's guys,
1: not like words it's Kenneth Grant, you know, who can't leave Grant Johnson. and
0: Johnson, but these guys who could transfer out, and that's where it's I would be sports, also, you have, yeah. yeah, you have to be at least somewhat sensitive of like, hey, I do have a pretty good defense coming back here, and you know, we got recruiting classes like, if if you're right, if you think that Sharon is mostly in the clear um, and again, you know, even then you have to sort of balance like, well, if we got to do a three game suspension with him, maybe it's worth it in the long run because he's still we look at him as the best guy. You know, uh, the NCAA is not as is trying to put a little oomph back in its uh, in its enforcement, but it's still you know i think a little hesitant to really drop bombs on people so yeah i i it again it seems like things would be lining up towards Sharon more but i i there's been a lot of twists and turns in this saga and i wouldn't be all that shocked if when you actually folks are listening to this maybe jim harbaugh has just si- signed a contract with michigan i I don't, I don't know if i would rule that out either
1: no i would yeah you, you never know with jim harbaugh you never know
0: he is a mercurial sort uh, Bruce is not. Bruce Feldman, you can find him on The Athletic in his with his writing. And, you know, we won't see him that much on Fox until next season, but he does a great job on Fox as a sideline reporter and studio guy as well. So, Bruce, my friend, thank you so much for joining me and fighting through a little sickness here. Um, appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully this carousel will stop spinning relatively soon and we can all relax a little bit.
1: Yeah, that would be nice. So, um, you know, enjoy... Enjoy the downtime, Ralph.
0: <laughs> if the, if such a thing exists. Thank I you, Bruce. Not, 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 wink, wink. And now three and out. First down. Instead of going to Alabama, Mike Norvell is bringing Alabama to Florida State or at least a lot of Alabama players. The Seminoles, by my count, have added five Alabama transfers, maybe six, in the past couple of days, including Roydell Williams, the Tide's second-leading rusher, and a few other former blue-chip recruits. Norvell landed a huge new contract during the Alabama, very short, coach search. Eight years, more than $10 million per year. The Knowles will be an interesting team heading into 2024. They lose a mountain of NFL talent. DJ Uyungalale comes back to the ACC to be the quarterback, but there are plenty of holes to fill. FSU has recruited well the past couple of years, but this year a potential top five class ended up being a top 15 class when it was all said and done. Norvell has been a master in the portal. The way he juiced the FSU rebuild through the portal was high-level stuff. It will be interesting to see if he can continue to use it as a bridge as Florida State continues to build through recruiting while also trying to not slip back too far from going unbeaten this past regular season and getting snubbed from the playoff. In a 12-team playoff, with the ACC competitive, though the other high-ceiling programs like Florida State and Miami still in various states of building up or recalibrating, FSU could take a step back in 2024 and still be a playoff team if Norvell's latest portal class hits like the last one's. Second down, I haven't had a chance to talk about this because last week's show was an impromptu ode to Nick Saban, but Ohio State is bringing back a loaded squad in 2024. Beyond Marvin Harrison Jr., most of the Buckeyes, who could have jumped to the NFL and been, at the very least, day two picks, have decided to return to Columbus, including receiver Emeka Agbuka, running back Travion Henderson, and defensive ends Jack Sawyer, And JT Tuwamaloa, that's four potential first-round picks playing in their fourth years next season. That's a ton of firepower. K-State transfer Will Howard will be the trigger man at quarterback. Howard is a good player. I don't know if he becomes a great player when he is surrounded by great players, but as we have seen with these fifth- and sixth-year guys, simply playing a lot of football can do wonders for your production at that position. I've said this a few times on the show, but I'll say it again. I know Ryan Day is living in hell right now, having lost three straight to Michigan. But the trajectory of the two programs suggests Day is in pretty good shape to flip the script come November third down I haven't really done much digging into San Jose State and South Alabama openings yet because they just happened uh, but I will say Major Applewhite has been the South Alabama offensive coordinator for the last two years he has had coaching experience from his time at Houston which was far from perfect but also not nearly as bad as some people might remember I have to think there is a good chance Applewhite gets bumped up in Mobile at a Sunbelt program that is looking like a really nice landing spot for some up-and-coming head coaches, which is, of course, an argument to not necessarily just promote Applewhite and look outside. As for San Jose State, Brennan did a nice job at a place that has very little history of success, at least relatively recent history, let's say the past 20 or 30 years. SJSU has made some facilities upgrades in recent years, but ultimately you're talking about a second tier Mountain West job that competes locally with pro sports teams. It's a tricky one, but better now than when Brennan took it. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about any way you get your pods. Please follow so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week. We're thinking about taking a little hiatus when there's actually an offseason, but I think we're going to come back for more next week with all the news that fits of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.